Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Living Through History, where we embark on a captivating journey through the events, people, and stories that have shaped the world in the 20th and 21st centuries. Join us as we unravel the intricate tapestry of modern history, exploring pivotal moments, cultural shifts, political revolutions, and technological breakthroughs that have defined our contemporary world. In this episode, Ghosts on the Beach, the Turkish Invasion of Cyprus, In the common sense, the term ghost town refers to abandoned and forgotten urban settlements. These are human-made settlements often created for specific functions, often for economic reasons, and left by the communities that once inhabited them, once their purpose was fulfilled. Along the old Klondike Gold Rush route in the Yukon, or in mining regions, there are numerous cases of ghost towns that now lie in dust, carrying distant memories of fortune seekers and wealth extractors, now reduced to fragments of memory from heroic or tragic times. However, in Cyprus, there is a particularly unique ghost town, a metropolis by the sea emptied in the course of an afternoon by residents and tourists, transformed from a vacation destination to a no-man's land in just a few hours. On August 14, 1974, it's the height of summer in Varosha, a tourist suburb of Famagusta. The beach is overflowing with umbrellas, Luxurious hotels along the shore are filled with foreign guests. It's no wonder Hollywood stars like Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor have chosen Varosha as their seasonal retreat for years. Taylor is a regular guest at the Argo Hotel, while the King George and Florida host gatherings of jet-setters, professional playboys, famous tennis players, and renowned industrialists. Waiters and bartenders are busy serving the refined Western clientele, trays of iced lemonade, Martinis, Cosmos and Coca-Cola shuttling back and forth between the beach and terraces. Developed as a neighborhood with a strong international character, Varosha is labeled by magazines as the Rimini of the Eastern Mediterranean and is a highly sought-after destination for many. Luxury skyscraper hotels have sprung up along J.F. Kennedy Avenue while the nearby Leonidas Street is the heart of strolling and shopping to the extent that even Toyota has bought a huge commercial space used as a dealership with the latest models for sale, many of which are of American taste. Varosha, in short, is a happy enclave within an island state devastated by a creeping civil war. Having gained independence in 1960 after a prolonged period of terrorism, Cyprus is a republic with a dual identity 
where the Turkish minority struggles within a predominantly Greek state whose leaders have long dreamed of Enosis, the reunification with the Hellenic motherland. This project is not well received by the local Turks, who have secured the vice presidency, along with the guarantee of state unity and a commitment to refrain from any geopolitical changes. The balancing point is Archbishop Makarios, a beloved Orthodox prelate of his people and the first president of the Republic of Cyprus. Makarios must mediate among the many factions in his country, but he encounters the most resistance among his compatriots. The main opponent for a long time is another Greek named Georgios Grivas, and he is a military man, a protagonist in the partisan struggle against the Germans, but also a fervent anti-communist. So much so that he baptized the X organization, which in December 1944 laid the foundations for the Greek Civil War. Grivas arrives in Cyprus in November 1954 and founds EOCA, National Organization of Cypriot Fighters, a terrorist group dedicated to countering the British presence on the island through bombings. For five years, Grivas fights against Her Majesty's soldiers, even wielding a machine gun and risking arrest twice until the colonial power decides to withdraw. Here, the previously solid relationship with Makarios begins to crack. The newborn Republic of Cyprus no longer requires the services of guerrillas, and the bishop president prefers a path of dialogue with the Turkish community. Grievous returns to Athens, welcomed as a national hero, promoted to brigadier general, and assigned a role in training officers. But in 1964, the eruption of a new season of tensions in Cyprus brings him back to the island. Even with the position of commander of the National Guard, which absorbed many former Ioka members, Grievous leads with an iron fist the campaign to suppress dissent in the Turkish community, causing an ultimatum from Ankara, threatening to invade the island to protect its compatriots. Recalled home after the Turks demanded his exile to avoid turning words into action, he initially opposes the newly formed Colonel's Junta, but later seems to support their cause, to the point of returning to Cyprus in secrecy in 1971, founding Ilka B to finish the job. The goal is clear, to discard the independent republic and force the island's reunification with Greece. Makarios is neither foolish nor blind, and for three years he vehemently opposes the violence unleashed by Ioka B, issuing an arrest warrant for Grievous, who dies of a heart attack at the age of 75 while hiding in a house in Limassol. His disciples then form a strong pact with Ioannidis, one of the key figures in the Athens junta. From that point forward, the Colonel's Greece will provide abundant military material and subsidies with the precise purpose of triggering a coup and killing Makarios, who has become not only an obstacle to Enosis, but also a dangerous enemy to the military dictatorship. On July 15, 1974, the rebels' plan unfolds suddenly. The National Guard, heavily infiltrated by Iokabi, rebels and attacks the presidential palace. Makarios narrowly escapes the assassination attempt and, protected by loyal men, seeks refuge in the British base of Akrotiri, from where he issues a proclamation to the nation denouncing the Kupi plotters and urging Cypriots to resist. The coup is a failure, and, worse still, it triggers the involvement of Turkey in the region. This is because, under the Zurich Agreement that established the country's independence in 1959, Ankara has the right to intervene directly with its forces 
if the Anatolian community on the island is threatened. On the morning of July the 20th, the Turkish army lands in the north of Cyprus, in Kyrenia, and establishes a bridgehead after fierce fighting against the National Guard and Ioka B, while paratroopers descend on the mountains around Nicosia. In Athens, the Cypriot failure costs Ioannides and the entire junta their positions, collapsing within 24 hours under the weight of street protests. Internationally, while Makarios seeks refuge in London as a guest of the British, Washington shows considerable concern. Nikos Samson, leader of the pro-Athenes rebels, is not only a protege of Ioannidis, but also of Vice President Spiro Agnew. And the fact that both Greece and Turkey are NATO partners causes evident embarrassment. Peace negotiations are initiated from July 25th, but the positions prove to be immediately quite distant. The Greek Cypriots, having restored democracy, demand a restoration of the constitutional situation of 1960 and the withdrawal of Turkish troops from the island. On the opposing side, the hypothesis of Taksim takes shape. The partition of the two communities into a no longer unitary but federal state based on ethnicity. The deadlock lasts for weeks until a decidedly tough proposal from Ankara emerges to implement separation in exchange for military withdrawal. Makarios's representative Clarides requests 48 hours to analyze the Turkish plan, but the Turkish plenipotentiary, Turan Gunesh, has long had an intervention plan ready, codenamed Attila. August 14th is the last day of the peace conference, while Clarides requests a temporary deferment to discuss the counterpart's proposal with other Greeks, tourists in Varosha relax on the beach. The fact that the Turkish army landed just 30 kilometers away a few weeks earlier did not cause much concern. After all, a tourist destination does not have military significance, and there is no perceived risk of a worsening situation. People enjoy themselves on the beach and in clubs, with swims in the sea and pool, sunbathing and shopping. Everything seems calm. The situation changes with a phone call that at noon on the same day originates from Geneva, the venue of the talks. I see Tatili Chuxen, Gunesh declares it means Aishi should go on vacation, a pre-arranged phrase to avoid interception by Greek or English spies. On the other end of the line, Prime Minister Bülent Esevit receives the communication, understands that the talks have concluded without the Turkish demands being met, and orders the commencement of Attila. It is the command for the army to complete the invasion. In a couple of hours, Anatolian units pour onto the island, moving not only from the previously established bridgeheads, but also through a dual naval and aerial maneuver. The northern part of Cyprus is invaded by 200,000 soldiers in combat gear, supported by artillery and armored vehicles. Naturally, Famagusta and Varosha are on the invaders' advance line. At 3.30 p.m. on the VIP beach, panic ensues. Alarming rumors circulate. It seems that an entire Turkish armored brigade is five kilometers away with orders not to take prisoners. Meanwhile, a unit of the National Guard is coming from the south to confront the invaders. The specter of a massacre in the streets triggers a mass exodus. There's no time to pack. Those on the beach dress as they can and flee along with hotel staff, traders and residents. The destination is Dekelia, one of the two British bases on the island, considered a safe place where the Turks dare not set foot. Hotels and shops empty in a few chaotic minutes. People flee desperately. In the evening, 
Greeks and Turks engage in actual combat in a battle that lasts almost an entire day and ends in a stalemate after the Anatolians take control of the suburbs of Famagusta. On August 16th, the ceasefire cuts the island in two. UN Blue Helmets arrive to monitor compliance with the truce conditions between the parties, while the buffer zone, now known as the Green Line or Attila Line, divides the nation and in some cases entire cities into two opposing portions. Thousands of Greeks are forcibly expelled from their homes and compelled to migrate to the south, while some Turks move in the opposite direction fearing possible reprisals. The Security Council condemns the Turkish aggression disguised as a peacekeeping operation and demands Ankara withdraw its forces and allow the rightful owners to reclaim their homes. However, Turkey not only refuses to comply with the United Nations directives, but also proclaims a Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus unrecognized by anyone internationally and promotes immigration to the occupied area of farmers from the mainland. Varosha becomes a ghost town. Soldiers lay barbed wire along the beaches, entrances are fortified and in some cases mined, while hotels and residences quickly slide toward architectural ruin. The inhabitants of Varosha try to rebuild a normal life in Paralimni, a town bordering the Green Line, but constantly dream of being able to return home without knowing that Turkey has decided to use Varosha as a bargaining chip with the United Nations, even if it means seeing the tourist paradise painstakingly built by the Cypriots in the preceding years destroyed. Today, the ghosts of the Eastern Rimini wander through the spectral streets of Varosha, now impassable while the shoreline has become a nursery for sea turtles that have exploited human folly to secure a peaceful place to lay eggs and perpetuate the survival of the species.